Welcome to Shooting the Frisbees with your hosts, Jake and Randy, discussing all things freestyle frisbee and whatever else that comes up. Welcome to Shooting the Frisbees with Jake and Randy. Hey, Jake, how you doing? I'm doing great. How are you, Randy? Oh, I'm doing great. I uh, am getting the opportunity. I shouldn't say the opportunity. I'm getting to go jam again at Green Lake. The whole crew is going to be out. I have a beautiful day here. It's going to be like 85 degrees. The wind is coming out of the north at a nice steady eight miles an hour. So oh. I'm excited about what the day has to bring. How about you? I'm jealous, but um, on my docket for tomorrow is we're going out to Seaside to jam on the beach. And it's oh. supposed to be, I know it's going to be great. It's another 80 degrees, but um, 14 mile an hour wind coming off the water. And Ooh, we have, real strong. Yeah, I think 14 is pretty good. I like that. So it should be fun. Um, but we also have James Wiseman coming to visit for a week. Oh, so you're he's coming out there with us. me. Oh, my God. I know. So you got a guest jammer. You got Mr. Wiseman as your guest jammer. Mr. That's Wiseman, cool. I know. And he's staying in the room next to the room I'm sitting in right now. So huh? awesome. it'll be great well, to have him around. Indeed, indeed. Well, uh, I wish I was there, but I'll have to have my, my joy at Green Lake. So. Yes, I'll be so, thinking of you. So what do we got on the docket today, Mr. Boy, JG? I am so excited about our guest today. Uh, he's been jamming for I don't know how long, but he was playing before the nail delay was a thing and he was one of the people that brought it that brought it to the sport and really made it part of the competition scene and uh he's been jamming since then all the way through to today he's known as the oracle let's welcome in joey hudaklin hey joey how's it going uh well hello jake and randy i'm doing fantastic thank you so much for having me i'm really honored yeah, I'd say we are honored to have you, you know, Joey, you are, you know, probably recognized as one of the greatest players of all time and your Hall of Famer and your experience with freestyle is so rich and thick and juicy. And I'm so psyched that we get a chance to kind of dig into it with you and do a little bit of a deep dive. So, you know, the the place where we start with everyone is seems like the appropriate place to start with you is. Um, so how did Frisbee come into your life? How did it start? Let's start. How did it start? Well, it's the Big Bang. You know, it was like the Big Bang. Um, I had um, my oldest friend, Robert Focci, lived around the corner from me in Greenwich Village, where I grew up, New York City. And uh, my oldest friend, we used to throw baseball in the street uh, outside of our apartments and footballs. And sometimes we'd go to the yard and I was I had gotten into playing basketball and exploring my potential as a as an athlete as a young uh, as an adolescent and my friend Robert had started venturing to Washington Square Park with his other friend Howard Takis. We were uh, schoolmates in uh, junior high school and Howard had gone to the Washington Square and drew Robert with him and Robert started showing me a couple of throws that he learned with the Frisbee in the street. And and we substituted our football or or softball for a Frisbee at one, at one day. And I think he may have showed me a sidearm and maybe a rudimentary overhand wristlet. 
And I was like, okay, well, I'm sort of ready to explore the world a little bit at this point. And we went down to Washington Square Park, and Howard, our friend, was uh, throwing with some guys down there. And Howard and another fellow whose name I can't remember had this overhand wristlet, really well-developed overhand wristlet. And I was like, wow, that thing came out like a slingshot and real smooth with no wobble. And I was fascinated with that delivery. And that was sort of my introduction to it, my initial initial uh, exposure. So I started dabbling in it and really just never turned back. What you year know, was turned, this? That was 1975, probably late summer. Wow. So the overhand wrist flip is what caught your eye. And it, you went, whoa, what was that? Yeah. And there was, cool. there may have been a couple of tips going on off these throws because the, the overhand comes in at a higher level to the eye. Uh, uh, it comes in at, at least at, the, at your shoulder height, not unlike a backhand, which is released at a lower, lower level, which can rise up. But the overhand comes in flatter generally and from a higher level. So it would come over, the, over your head a lot of times. And that was the counter spin that I learned how to tip for the first time. How many people were in Washington Square Park that first time that you went? Was it 10, 15, 25? There might have been a half a dozen or so, um, give or take. And well, as time went on and uh, more exposure to to these jams, um, they would expand to throwing across the fountain. So people were getting into throwing a little bit longer distances and in with multiple discs across the fountain and with maybe three or four or more sometimes people on each side of the fountain receiving multiple discs. Kind of like a DV, a little DVC game in a way because the disc would come in and sometimes you'd tip it to the next guy behind you so they could catch while another one was coming in that I could catch. And right, then right. They, would, they would receive that one, throw it back, and I would receive the next one and throw that one back across and it was a real fast-paced kind of thing. Yeah, you guys were doing Fountain DDC. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but there were no so scores, the, right? You were just playing for the fun of playing. Yeah, it was just a throw and catch. So cool. After a little while, I started to attempt to develop my, my tipping, my overhead tipping. So that was my real first, uh, in, in, including just catching it and throwing it. The, the tipping was the for overhead tipping. I started developing it to multiple tippings, trying to do as many as I could so I could get to, once I got to 100, I was like, okay, let's, you know, move on to something else. Did you get to 100 tips in 1975 or did that come later? No, I got to that pretty quick, probably. I mean, it seemed like a a long time at at the time, but it was probably a a month or so. I mean, you know, because after a while, it's just, I mean, rapid fire tips. I mean, like a machine gun over the head, just like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and with a lot of spin, it just, yeah, so I got to 100. It was just a, uh, a goal to achieve. Who were some of your inspirations as that was initially taking place? Sure. So after um, maybe a, a month or so, maybe went by, I think uh, I ventured up to Central Park. Let me say, actually, before that, uh, I can recall one of my first memories was hearing about this technique where you could actually let the disc ride on your finger uh, for a brief period. 
I had never witnessed it, but we were playing in the in the square. This fellow came walking through, and he said, "Hey, you guys are pretty cool." Uh, and he stepped in and took one of our throws and moved it, extended it slightly with his hand. So he took it as it came in and, and scooped it along and lifted it. It delayed on his hand for a couple seconds as he guided it along and lifted it. It was quite uh, beautiful. And that was Mark Dana. So he came in and wow. showed us what was my first uh, exposure to the delay. And it wasn't a controlled delay, but just of moving it along in the flight, in the motion of the, uh, the flight of the disc. And he right. scooped it along to the next nearest guy. I started trying that a little bit with varied success. And shortly after that, I think I took a venture up to, he, well, he mentioned that they played in Central Park. So uh, Banshell in Frisbee Hill, which is right right close by uh, in the vicinity of the Sheep Meadow and Bethesda Fountain. And so I think I went up there and um, saw probably Freddie Haft, Mark Mountain, Carl Crone was, was his real name, uh, rest in peace. CB was another uh, prominent player, Clarence Brathwaite. Wow. And, and Crave and Sickle and Carrie. Wow. And I saved those two for last because they were the best. So everybody was, was more advanced than I was, but Cray uh, and especially Carrie really, really stood out. The first thing I remember seeing Carrie do was, was a scissor kick catch under the leg off someone's straight direct throw. So that was my first exposure to a really fancy kind of catch. And uh, Kerry had uh, a very, very dynamic, athletic, martial arts style uh, of movement. And he used his arms to lead into the catch. In the, in the old days, Peter Blurm and Kerry and, and would, would, would throw their arm out in front before, as the disc would come in and then thwack into a behind-the-back catch. So it was. It became like a, a martial arts movement with throwing the, the like say the right hand out, fake like you're going to catch it with the, as a the in front of your face, but the, but it would continue on by and you turn into the behind the back catch as a snappy, really nice um, dynamic way to, cool. to execute. Kind of like a misdirection, that, like a misdirection. Yeah, and there were also fakes like incoming um, movements of with the hands. Uh, as a trailing edge fake. It's hard to describe without seeing it, but there were a lot of hand motions involved in speed flow at the time, which really are a worthwhile thing for us to re-experiment uh, with because it really adds a lot of dynamics to the game rather than just standing there and watching the disc come in. Um, there were all, a lot of these fake hand movements prior to the catch that right. were very interesting. So the Carrie's scissor kick catch really stuck. And, what, and I remember later on when I finally had the opportunity to try it down in Washington Square Park, I, I was like, okay, I've practiced this, this motion with my legs. Here comes the disc. I'm, I did the little hop and the scissor kick and caught it under my leg. And I was like, I, 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 that rush went through my body. like, And I was like, that's it. 
that's it, I'm in, I can do this. That was my moment of clarity, so to speak. <laughs> right, right. Really so was. it was the, the wrist flip and then the scissor kick is what did it. Yeah, yeah, the scissor that's kick cool. was really, really, really <laughs> a jolt. So were those guys approachable? Were like were were Carrie, Komar, and Cray approachable at that moment? Did you kind of go up to them or did you watch them? No, I was very shy, and they were very intense. Cray was was slightly aloof. Um, you know, Cray, uh, you're, if you're when you're if when you listen to this, you know, no, no offense, but you, yeah, Cray was a bit aloof. Um, Carrie was very intense. He was the you know the 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 king of the park. Uh, he was very demonstrative and very directive of everything. He was the he was the fulcrum of everything. And Cray was was small, a, a diminutive young man of two years younger than I. And I was sixteen, so or fifteen, barely sixteen. Yeah, and Cray was I think thirteen. And I was I was blown away that there was a guy younger than me who was so advanced. Oh, that's so crazy to think of like Cray being 13 and you being 15. I mean, it's just, it's just, that's cool. So I wasn't really aware yet that they had been developing the nail delay. So I hadn't really seen that until a little bit later, but um, I guess just to skip uh, to the next phase was Richie had become my friend and partner shortly thereafter. And we ventured up to Central Park and, sat up on a rock to watch Kerry jam. He might have been with, with uh, Fred Haft, I believe, and he was feeding Kerry and back and forth they were playing, and Kerry had this impeccable control over the nail delay and the airbrush. And the airbrush, I knew that I was looking for the nail delay, and he had impeccable control and could kick tip it and get it back to the nail delay and set up catches and then I saw him set it up on the angle and start controlling the airbrush. And I was like, wait a minute, what <laughs> is going on now? Because oh. this was defying gravity, took it to a whole nother level and blew oh. my mind. And I thought, you know, I was doing some, some psychedelic uh, experimentation at the time. And I, I thought, you know, I, I said to Richie, did you and are we really, seeing this or is this one of those imaginary <laughs> moments so um but no i couldn't approach him and if, if you, you know carrie knew we were there as i found out later he, he always knew we were there but um wow so he was probably showing off a little bit himself you know wow. right, right. As, we, wow. as we all do wow that's cool to you know just hear that first time seeing the airbrush and how much the airbrush has meant to all of us in our life throughout the last 40 years, you know, it's kind of amazing that you saw it that first time. And little did you know that that little action right there, that soft little touch brush would, would change your life and continue to enhance it. It's a transformation of, of uh, everything. So talk about, so now what did you and Richie do? You saw that. So now did you guys like go off and sequester and start working on stuff or how did, how did that start to evolve? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Richie and I uh, went back down to our park and said, whoa, you know, how are we going to, you know, start, you know, getting better? And we were counter players and a lot of the guys up at the park were clock players. 
yeah, so we we went down to the square, and I'm probably skipping over some things, but by the time I met Richie, I had already had some delay experience and some moves, uh, and Richie came in wanting to get a piece of that with me, and, you know, we became easy friends like that. We became partners, and we just started throwing each other counter. Richie was a left-hander, so he could throw me that backhand, and I had that overhand wrist flip, so I could see him. He he liked the uh, counter as well. Uh, We probably started working on uh, our airbrushing, Richie, with counter as a lefty, and that worked for me because he could brush it to me counter. Of course, as a right-handed player myself, I needed to learn how to brush it clock. The uh, the psycho bash, as we've come to note, to uh, refer to the, the right-handed counter brush with the thumb down, hadn't been invented yet. So I had to learn how to take a clock and set it up into an angle to airbrush it. So that was one of my goals. I had to force Richie to learn how to throw a sidearm with his left hand so I could get some clock. You kind of learned airbrushing clock after learning delay counter. Correct. Uh, so I had some center control with tipping, uh, delay work with, with counter, and my clock initially consisted of taking it in, setting up an angle, and brushing it. So I had two different things I could do with each one, which for me was kind of kept it very interesting. Two different personalities, one for each spin. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, exactly. So you and Richie are starting to deepen your skill sets and is there a point where you guys go, okay, hey, let's go to the park and show what we got to the to the gang? <laughs> well, you know, we went up to the park after we started getting kind of good. And at the Bandshell, Mountain was a real key figure in the mix up there. And he was very loud. And he had this dog named Trapper. And he was always yelling at his dog, hey, Trapper, Trapper. He was, he was this real loud personality. And we would set up our a little jam space and he would come through and he was throwing like a regular frisbee and he would throw it from the back which the west side of the bandshell area all the way across the, the tiles into the bandshell with a regular frisbee that's a pretty good toss with a regular frisbee he was a real good distance thrower but he was like he's like all that freestyle stuff is bullshit if you can't throw it from here into the band shell, you're a pussy. And he was saying that to us. He was doing that for us because we were coming into the space and somewhere else, and it was a territorial thing. And, and But he would freestyle a little bit, and he had these suede moccasins, and he would, he would tip it a few times and then kick it really hard in the center, really high up into the air, and his moccasin would go flying off into, into a different direction while he... <laughs> As he did that, and we were just—it was so funny. Uh, you know, it was like a caveman freestyle. So we would go up there and and play, and we carved out a little niche, little by little. But we always went back to Washington Square. That was our our home. So Washington Square was your turf. So there were the the Washington Square folks. Were you guys the Wizards yet at this point, or had that come later? Well, you know, Richie and I actually started the, the Wizards thing. We called ourselves the Wizards, but uh, Jeff Elberbaum and Johnny Dwork actually unofficially trademarked it. Let's, just, let's say they, they made, they created some shirts and some literature and stuff. Richie and I weren't that organized. We just sort of would show up at a tournament and we called ourselves the Wizards. 
and we cultivated a, a scene down there. You know, we had a, a we had a group of our friends who were getting good, but they weren't real serious as we were to you know to travel to tournaments. But but some of them did, and I forgot that some of my good friends, like um, like Jeff mentioned he played with my friend Robert who, who was the fellow who first brought me to uh, the square. He, he played with Robert at uh, his first tournament which was Octad and I didn't even remember that but when you interviewed him or something I, I read it or something but so yeah our friends would go to some of these earlier tournaments and we had a little scene going on down there and Jeff came around Angel Sanchez was energized by us and he was the mayor of Washington Square Park when we first showed up, you know, he ran the show down there and he got in, he could throw in, uh, he could do good speed flow. Roosevelt Bacchus was actually my first partner before Richie came along. Roosevelt Bacchus was um, my first partner. He was a fantastic player. May he rest in peace. He was a really great athletic martial arts athlete in the, in the city and decided he'd rather throw the first even tight. I was really wow. grateful for that, and, and we became great friends. And he spent some time in California as well. That's so. interesting, the martial arts theme there, because I know Jeff Elberbaum also was martial arts, and you said Carrie Komar was martial arts, and and uh, yeah, yeah, like interesting that little theme running through there. And also, um, uh, Cray's father is a uh, Tai Chi instructor. So he comes from that background as well. So you have the you have the Washington Square Wizards and the Central Park folk. Do you guys ever is there emerging it at any point or does that happen? Well, not really, but you know, Cray would come down to the square on rare occasions, um, and we would go up there and but not no, there wasn't. It was really separate. It was really, really separate. And, you know, I lived downtown. Those guys lived uptown. So it was just where you went. The Frisbee Hill is a slanted, it's a, it's a hill. I didn't really, I didn't really like playing there all that much. I like the band shell. The band shell to me is one of the fantastic places to play on the planet. Uh, the energy there, it's one of the most busiest. It is the busiest place in Central Park on a day-to-day basis uh, with all the cross traffic of the foot traffic. So it's a real high energy place, just as the square is. The square is a super high energy place. So we fed off of that. And, uh, you know, the the cops there, if we, if if somebody would complain like, these boys are playing with that Frisbee too close. If it comes near me again, I'm going to, you know, call the cops. You know, they'd call the cops and the cops would come over and they'd say, well, they're allowed to play frisbee here. You know, it's better that they play here than in the street with track car traffic or something. You know, so um, <laughs> maybe you ought to move to a bench over there where the. So we were like, hey, this is great. <laughs> oh, the cops embraced the, the activity. They really did, and they let us get away with other, you know, illicit things that that, that you couldn't get away with in this day and age either. <laughs> Wow. wow. So do you think that playing in that high traffic area contributed to um, competing and playing in front of people? Do you think that, that that translated to sort of that performance pressure or maybe not pressure, but just the performance aspect of competing? Um, it's a different thing altogether, because for me, it was a ch- an us versus them mentality. It's like they're an obstacle 
to be worked around in the square. That we would use them as we would throw the disc through behind them as they walked through. Sometimes, you know, they would stop and watch, and there were always people sitting around having casual gatherings or conversations, and they would watch here and there. You know, David Peel would sing songs about us as we, David Peel was a musician and friend of John Lennon's. Uh, he would sit there and sing songs, make up words about us as we, as we jammed. But the traffic was going through all the time and we would use them as obstacles, uh, either to airbrush around them or throw the disc around them and not hit them. And they wouldn't even notice, usually. Uh, and Roosevelt in particular was so athletic, he would be jumping over benches and over platforms that were there at the time and over through people. And it was really insane. And there were so many of us playing. And, and late at night, this would go on as well. We had a light there that we would play under, as I think Jeff mentioned to you guys. Yeah, he said you guys would like play till four in the morning or something crazy. And he'd come back and his dad would like, where have you been? Well, I've been playing Frisbee. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Uh, yeah, all night. Wow, what a crazy story to hear Joey talk about jamming in Washington Square Park. Can you imagine jamming with that many people around and just jumping over them and going around them? And it's, it's insane. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, I, I love the that they used the people that they had in the park as obstacles and and uh they were part they were part of the playing field. Part of the playing field. I mean, ugh. okay, so when I was a new player, I tried to play in downtown Santa Rosa me and my buddies. And there was I'm sure it wasn't like Washington Square, but there were people everywhere and Three throws in, I hit a kid in the face, and the kid started crying. <laughs> Ever since then, if there's people around, I just can't do it. I have to go oh, find an no. open space and be by myself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. hitting a kid in the face will be a deterrent to uh, having that activity resonate yes. for you. Yes, yes. Oh, yeah, man. well, would have been fun to be there in Washington Square back in those days. Yes, well, I had, I did, I have had the opportunity to play in the band shell, and and I know you have too. Uh, it really is amazing to just be in that energy, and uh, you know, it's it's a very cool thing. Yep, yep. So uh, yeah, so I just want to say, hey, thanks everyone for listening. It's uh, really great to hear your feedback and to know that you're out there listening to what we're talking about. Uh, we really appreciate your your ears. So thanks a lot. Indeed, Jake. I will talk to you next time. Yes, talk to you next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to Shooting the Frisbees with Jake and Randy. To contact us or for more info, check us out at frisbeeguru.com.